Hey everybody and welcome to uh, how are we doing this? Season two episode season one. Two. No, season two episode one A. At one A. Okay, there we go. Of Mastication Nation, the podcast that has returned from the dead. It's like we did this on purpose. Like we're not we're not gonna mess with twenty twenty and now that we're in twenty twenty one it felt like a natural juncture to bring it back, but here we are. Got the band back together. Absolutely. I, uh, I, I, I hope this is like riding a bike again, but I think we might need some training wheels for a couple of episodes. So hopefully this goes smoothly and no audio issues or, or uh, rust that needs to come off our, our larynx. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure there will be lots of those. But I think it's, it's interesting because Paul and I have not done layovers in nearly a year because we're not flying and we can't go anywhere. So it felt kind of dumb to just sit there and talk about things that happened in the past or, or might happen in the future. So yeah, you're right. It's going to be interesting to see how we, how we go, but it felt, it felt like the right time to do this. 2020 was a hell of a year on so many levels for so many people, a year of growth, a year of change, a year of metamorphosis, a year of shit too. So <laughs> For just about everybody. But one of the main reasons why we took our initial pause, I don't think either of us thought it was going to be this long, uh, was that you became a father. I did. I was listening back to, to the last episode, Z, from the last season. And I, for some reason, thought that, that my kid had been born prior to the last episode. But no, we released that episode in, in October. And my daughter, Logan, was born the tail end of, of December 2019. So, yeah, I have a one-year-old now. How, do, how does it feel that your kid brother has a kid? That's weird. I don't think it's uh, the responsible thing to do because you're just a 12-year-old as far as I can remember. <laughs> no, oh, I think, you know what? Fun. Will has, has taken to fatherhood more gracefully than, than me or our other brother have um, by orders of magnitude. So I, I went over. I saw Logan when she was two days old and then... Yep. Uh, when she was about seven months old, God, she's a cute kid, and I'm a very proud and, and beaming uncle. But I can't imagine that uh, we would have been able to record a podcast, you know, with your first kid uh, crawling around because it does keep you busy. It was, I think, during the beginnings of lockdowns, and we won't spend too much time talking about the world at large, but it's good to acknowledge. I think we didn't know how long this was going to last, so we kept on thinking, oh, in a couple of months, maybe we'll get back to normal and I'll have some support structure or maybe a part-time health, you know, home, home child care help. Uh, and you know, I'll have a couple hours back here and there, but, um, what is it? It's January. So basically pretty much barring like a week, uh, my wife and I have been soloing this with absolutely no support structure for, for a year. Damn. Yeah. That's literally insane. nothing. And I jo- I joked on Twitter that last year, if you minus out, paternity leave and company mandated uh, office closures. Uh, I took seven days of PTO last year. Um, so that kind of just summarizes that I didn't have any time to do things for myself. But the goal for 2021 uh, is to be a little bit more self-care-y. So part of that is the podcast. Part of that is, you know, we'll get onto where I am in the world right in a bit, but also talking about exploring the world safely that we have access to so going away from humans into nature a little bit more is the goal for 2021 there you go i think those are all noble and admirable goals but you're you're right because when you're in lockdown which many of us are i envy our australian brothers and sisters and so many of the people in 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 southeast asia who who nailed this frankly uh and have enjoyed a little bit of a, a a resurgence in normality or normalcy. There's a very big debate about those two words, by the way. If you're bored or boring or both, do a little bit of Googling about normality and normalcy. Anyway, um, but to your point, like, what what are you going to do? Like, you know, it's day 96 of lockdown. Should I take a day off and work or should I yeah. take a not day off and yeah, work? Yeah, exactly. There's nothing that, else like, to yeah, do. Um, um... That was the kind of thing. It was like to begin with. It was like, what, what, what would I do? Where would I go? Um, but in July, the family and I spent a couple of days up in Tahoe, which was really nice, um, and we were able to sort of just like get up into the mountains and not see anybody. And that sort of like reaffirmed, okay, if I can do this safely, where can I go? 
Um, and then we made an even bigger decision. So uh, you find me recording from Denver, Colorado. I have given up the Bay Area life and, and moved to the yeah. Rocky Mountain highs. Um, so yeah, if you, if you hear the altitude, the elevation in the background, if you hear me losing my breath, uh, cause I can't, can't speak as fast cause for it, uh, for it 5,258 feet here, I think where I am currently. So it should be noted that Will has a majestic and healthy beard and is wearing a lumberjack shirt. I am yeah, not my making wife, either of those things up. Yeah. My wife, my wife says I look like a, um, a starting linesman for the Boston Bruins. I, I said, I have too many teeth now. Um, but yeah, the hair is starting to turn into a bit of that, the wet Canadian mullet thing that hockey players get. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've given up on, on any sort of hair. Uh, so hold on a second. You decided that having your first kid wasn't stressful enough. So you decided to throw in a cross country move as well. <laughs> A thousand mile cross country drive because we weren't going to fly for obvious reasons. Uh, with myself, my wife, my one year old—no, she was like eight months at the time, nine months at the time—daughter, my seventy-five pound golden retriever, and my shitty shitty cat. That cat's an asshole. She hates everybody except for me, and I'm allergic to her. So yeah, great. Um, but yeah, we drove from San Francisco to Denver, um, stopping in. Park City, Utah, famed for the Sundance Film Festival, uh, which I'll get onto in a second. But arrived in Denver in November, and we've been we've been here ever since. Um, it was one of the most stressful things I've ever done, but we all rallied and discovered the mind-numbing effects of playing the same kids' songs on the radio over and over again to get, well, get to yeah, sleep in the car. That would end me. That would end <laughs> me. But okay, so the so the question I guess is is. Why? So for Colorado Radio audience, I don't know what you call calls yourselves. Um, they're all really getting a little upset that everybody's leaving the New Yorks, the LAs, the San Franciscos of the world, and moving to their to their uh, lovely state. Um, but unfortunately, that's the the world we live in. Is um, three thousand dollars of rent gets you, you know, a two hundred square foot apartment in San Francisco, and gets you a lot more out here in, in Colorado. So uh, it's a combination of the fact that my, my company's world headquarters are in Denver. Uh, my wife was can be remote with her job. Um, and it's kind of the world we live in ourselves. And I think we've all proved to ourselves that there are certain industries that have absolutely no reason to spend thousands of dollars on downtown rents uh, for offices. And you can be doing it from pretty much anywhere. So cost of living, new adventure, Kind of want. I've as you listened back to the old episodes, I was coming out to Denver pretty much four or five times a year, so it was somewhere that I knew pretty well, and I really enjoy it. So I'm sorry that I'm driving up your cost of living out here by by coming out here with our San Francisco money. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I know a lot of people are big fans of that area, and it does seem to have a very strong gravitational pull for tech dorks uh, and yep. venture capitalists. So I don't know which one of those you. Um, you consider yourself, but uh, no, it seems like it's been a very successful move. And I want to hear about uh, the food situation there, but I think it's probably worth spending some time, not much time, but a little bit of time on what the hell we're doing and why we're doing it and how we're going to do it moving forward. We went around the horn once, A through Z, with a little bit of fudging here and there for yep. X and ZZ, Z. But I, I think uh, we like the idea of keeping it alphabetic. Um, we're not going to start in this episode because it felt like launching straight into it without a where the hell have you been explanation was unfair. Yeah, a little bit rude. So we're going to stick to A to Z, right? Yep. But instead of doing uh, we're, instead of doing foods or ingredients, we are going to do countries. Yeah. And I think this sort of spawned out of my original pre-children goals like you think you have all the time in the world like i wanted to learn the national dishes of every country recognized by the un but no i wanted to sort of spend time diving into the great big world of food out there and so we have so many audience people uh, uh members from around the around the world that were always talking about like what's going on in their country and you know what kind of food they're into so i thought it would just make a lot of sense for us to to give a stab at highlighting some some of the more well-known countries, but also some of the countries that we don't know too much about. And we'll rely heavily on people out there to provide us with with information yeah. on everything to do with your culinary worlds in your, in your country. 
yeah so we'll we'll talk a little bit more about format towards the end of the show but that's the the loose idea and yes we will definitely want to get you involved i think we will eschew some of the traditions that we had a to z but we will definitely be keeping some of the the uh the more fun bits where we get to drink and on that note i think it's very important i ask you this question what in this inaugural episode of season one two are you drinking so i did i went sober for a lot of 2020 um and it's funny i was listening back again to z and you were talking about how you was drinking a lot of athletic um i was buying athletic brewing beer pretty much on the regular uh through most of the summer um, and then i started drinking again towards the end of the year because gestures at everything <laughs> so I was doing a bit of a dry January, but I, I'm throwing in a little bit of stuff here and there. Um, but I am drinking a real beer today. And something I wanted to mention about Colorado, so America in general, they're just crazy for IPAs. And it drives me nuts sometimes because trying to find a regular lager or non-IPA is pretty hard. But Colorado is bucking that trend. And I've noticed it for a while. They, while they, you can find thousands of IPAs, it is just as easy to find ales uh, in sort of like the sort of the amber, sorry, not ales, so like ambers and darker beers. And so for every IPA you're seeing, you're going to find an amber or a lager. And this is the one that I really, really enjoy. See, you see this? It's Denver called Beer Pretzel. Company. Pretzel Assassin. Uh, yeah, Denver Beer Company. It's the Pretzel Assassin Amber Lager. And it is uh, it's really, I think there might be a lot of German background in denver because there's a lot of german styles that are really popular here but uh yeah it's your typical amber and it's got that sort of that's the pretzel it's got that sort of crackery bready. Yeah, multi-flavor yeah. bready flavor thank you nice it's a good beer <laughs> it's a very good beer i'm surrounded by breweries just like i was in california so this is really really good and one of the only things that does well does does as good in, in at elevation uh, as it does at sea level, uh, everything else kind of, which we'll get onto, kind of sucks <laughs> mm. or or struggles uh, due to due to less atmospheric pressure and the altitude. Um, so, what are you drinking? Well, if you if you list, have listened back or you remember that for most of 2019, for all of 2019, I was stone cold sober, and mm -hmm. um, then 2020 happened, and I I learned I learned something about alcohol in 2020. And that is, it's great. <laughs> um, oh. And I, I did drink quite a lot. And I, and I developed a, um, what might be called clinically anyway, a dependence on Japanese whiskey. Um, and I drank a lot of it and discovered some amazing ones. Greg, Greg Barnes and I would, uh, would send each other these different, uh, different bottles that we'd found. And, and most of them were that I really dug were Nikka. Uh, mm -hmm. Nikka Days, which is this beautiful, light, um, although quite high-ish, like 47, 48% uh, whiskey. And then um, this one, this beautiful bottle, Pure Malt. It's like old-timey. Uh, it's called Pure Malt Red. That's another Nikka one. Anyway, uh, at the beginning of 2021, I, I decided that I needed to... Um, be a little bit more restrained and ditch the booze. So I, I did. It's been like three weeks now. And I'll tell you what, uh, I feel phenomenal. I'm sleeping really, really well. I, I don't mm -hmm. hate myself as much as I normally do. So that's positive. We talked a lot about in 2019 when I was off the booze about all the wonderful um, uh, uh, non-alcoholic beers that are available. You just mentioned Athletic uh, out of Connecticut. Great stuff. So many And options. Denver now. And Denver now. And Denver. So they then at San up. Diego too. So they've nailed yeah. it. Uh, Athletic Brewing Company. They were they were they're really, really good. There's loads over here. Most of the big dogs are producing pretty good crap, but the smaller-ish ones are are smashing it. The science is there, it's scalable. Everybody's figured out how to do it. You can make pretty much any kind of beer you want. Um, big drop are doing some great stuff with stouts and brown ales and all that stuff. So I don't worry about that. It's very easy to scratch that itch when it comes. But I love red wine. And 
I thought non-alcoholic. People kept saying non-alcoholic prosecco, non-alcoholic blah blah blah. I don't really like prosecco; it's too sweet. But then I discovered in the paper a couple of weeks ago this non-alcoholic red wine, and I thought, well, look, if they figured out the technology to do this for beer and 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 de-alcoholize beer, I'm sure maybe they could do it to 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 red wine. So I got, and I haven't tried this yet, this non or what is it? Premium de-alcoholized wine. It's a 2018 Cabernet Sauvignon from Ariel, and they are in, where are they? San Jose, California. Would you believe it? Oh, I was going to say Australia. So uh, it's the only de-alcoholized wine. That's a very clumsy word. To win a gold medal against wines with alcohol. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's, okay. All right, I'm going to try this. So. Stand by. I do, while, Alex is pour, while Alex is pouring this, there's two things I want to mention last time I saw him. We both exchanged. Uh, he came over to my house with some some of his own non-alcoholic beer and got me to taste it. And it was like rat piss. And then I also had some really I did, bad I stuff did that well. because I wanted to make sure it wasn't me that I, I didn't have COVID or some you know awful, awful thing. Because it tasted – I drank two or three bo- cans of it and I thought this tastes like – yeah, like you say, rat piss. Here, Will. Try it. I had one. I had one in in my my house that had the exact same flavor, and I, I think it's the people who don't quite understand it. It tastes like skunky marijuana water mixed with yeast. Oh yeah, it was, it was gross. Um, but we did have some nice Japanese whiskey, which I'll get into in a second. So, um, all right, <laughs> I want so, you to try this red wine. All right, it smells like um, candy. It's gonna be sweet. I just can tell it's gonna be sweet. It's, it's, it smells like like. Uh, Dollar store candy. I like there's a little bit of, um, I don't know. I'm going to try it. A little bit of grimacing going on right now. Somebody owes me an apology. Really? That's disgusting. Oh. That's disgusting. It, it, it tastes like, uh, it tastes like terrible communion wine. <laughs> like not the, oh, not the primo stuff you get at the nice church, but at the crappy church. That, uh, that yeah. I'd probably go. Oh, that is disgusting, and I'm got, so disappointed. You got a backup drink? I do have a backup drink because I did worry this was going to happen. I got a Brewdog Punk AF, nice. and it's um, got it. All attitude, no alcohol. They need to tone it down with their uh, with their wordage. But yeah, they they do good work. They've nailed not just beer, but non-alcoholic beer. They've got the na- Nanny State this, and I think one other. And I need to get that dreck off my tongue. <laughs> so going back to the 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 whiskey real quick um that's so yeah so yeah as you, as you as you alluded to you know you came over and uh i um i you know i have a fairly at the time i had a fairly extensive whiskey collection and i had some some good japanese whiskey in the house and uh in my entire life like knowing you as a drinker you've never gone <laughs> Can I have some more of that? Like three times. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, good. like we're, we were just sitting watching, like we we're watching a show that I turned Alex on to from the guys, uh, these guys out in Austin who are the world's only uh, whiskey sommelier uh, program. Um, that, uh, oh the yeah, they were great. Uh, and they're called the Whiskey Tribe or the Whiskey Vault, um, depending. They have two YouTube channels. The Whiskey Tribe. Sorry, the Whiskey Vault, sorry, is every episode these two guys talk about whiskey and they just review a whiskey that they have on, you know, that either has been sent to them or they just have in their in their vault. Um, and then the Whiskey Tribe, they do crazy things like um, they take White Dog, which is, you know, whiskey that's not been aged, and they run an, um, an ultrasound vibration system through it while also putting wood chips into it to see if you can fast forward the aging process by, like, using science. And they do fun stuff like that or making a blend with hot Cheetos and stuff like that. So like, you know, fun, crazy stuff. And yeah, so we were drinking whiskey while, while watching that. So if you haven't checked them out, they are on, um, on, on YouTube, the whiskey tribal, the whiskey vault, and they've turned me on to some really good whiskeys. A lot of really good Colorado whiskeys. Stranahan's is, it's one of them, but, um, but I have been, you know, a bourbon guy for the longest time and dabbling in rye scotch a long time ago. Japanese a little bit more recently, but the thing that I've actually fallen in love with, and I think is going to be my new go-to, because I'm not a PD person at all, and so I didn't want to go down that path, is Irish whiskey. 
And um, did you not I've listen to the episode where we were talking about this, and you said that you'd started drinking a lot of it, and we talked about that Greg Barnes, Sir Greg Barnes, is a huge Irish whiskey drinker. You were drinking well, you know, Redbreast. Red he was drinking. He was drinking Redbreast, but I had some at that that episode. I was drink, I was saying that I had some at the at a bar, but I hadn't actually been buying any. And so I bought some Redbreast uh, several months ago, but that's expensive. That's like seventy dollars a bottle. And so I went to my new liquor store. And I said, you know, what have you got like this um, that is an Irish whiskey that is is decent uh, in price as well? And I found this one. And bear with me one second because I need to. So I found this one uh, out of the recommendation of my whiskey or of my my liquor store purveyor, and it's Glendolog, G L E N D A L O U G H, and it's Irish whiskey from about maybe an hour south of Dublin. Um, and it is aged first in bourbon barrels. So it's got that Irish whiskey sweet sort of ethereal nature, but then has a little bit of that bourbon hum. And it's so good. It's only like 30 bucks a bottle. And the hilarious thing is that one of my best friends from college, um, who was a prof- like a mm-hmm. assistant professor at Oxford and now is at University of Dublin, I think, um, and he lives about five minutes from no, this no place, way. and completely randomly was like, "Oh yeah, they, they they do good stuff. They do some good gin. They do a rosé gin, and then this this Irish whiskey is the sort of flagship." So um, keep an eye out for it. I'm sure you can find it in England, and it's if you start drinking again, it's it's really enjoyable. Nice. Well, I'm always on the lookout. Well, I was always on the lookout for stuff like that. We'll see how it goes. Good. I, I think that that's a very important tradition to to maintain throughout season two. I think it's fun. And also, we didn't say this nearly enough, but tell us what you're drinking, what you've discovered, what you've enjoyed, especially over the last 12 months of whatever we're going to call this. But uh, it, would be, it would be always great to hear from you guys about what you're drinking. Usually at this point, we, we talk about the best thing that we've eaten since we last recorded, but it's been almost a year and a half, so I think it might take a while. But is there anything that immediately when you thought if I, you know, in the last year, not that eating out has been a thing in 2020 or that maybe you've cooked or is there anything that you're cooking a lot of uh, in lockdown? When lockdown first started happening, I used to do these massive bulk sort of shops of like just the staples. And I just got into routines of salads and pastas and um couscous dishes and just large format stuff that I could then portion out through the week. And yeah, there was a lot of good stuff that I would... Oh, that was the other thing. I just completely spaced on when we last recorded. And I can't remember if we talked about this, but there was a... a no, of course you didn't because we didn't re- record in lockdown. I found a place um, that was a meat purveyor, Richmond, California, where they were usually supplying to uh, find food markets or restaurant directly. But the moment lockdown happened, they were like, we'll sell you food right out of the back of our warehouse. And so you went to the website and you have to pay like 150 bucks minimum and you know, all this sort of stuff. And so like every month or so I would do an order from there and I'd get the usual like chicken, duck, um, you know, some steaks here and there, some sausages and they really good, really good meat. Um, really affordable, like a lot of snake, snake river, valley stuff and there was some american wagyu which we did a couple times which was a lot of fun uh, but they also did a really good charcuterie curriculum system thing uh and so i would periodically get their 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 dried <laughs> meats but then i would often sometimes forget the size and just order and on a couple of times i bought a chorizo log or stick, whatever you're gonna call it, thinking it was like uh, eight ounces, and it actually arrived and it was the size of a baseball bat. Uh, <laughs> and I, I ate a lot of really good bread, cheese, and, uh, and and cured meats through a lot of the summer. So that was one of the things I really, really enjoyed because I was able to be safe, not have to go to supermarkets constantly, literally working out of the back of a. Um, a warehouse um, to get all my meat from and and do some fun stuff there. Um, but the best thing I've eaten is actually only from about a few weeks ago. Um, have you heard of Gold Belly? I hadn't heard about it until you had had mentioned it. No, it was an entirely new concept to me. So Gold Belly, for those who are not in the U.S., you have all these companies that like go to your favorite restaurant, pick up your food, even if it isn't delivery style, and they'll bring it to you, like you know, Task Rabbit or whatever. 
Goldbelly took that initiative to the next level. They worked with some of the most iconic or just uh, crowd favorite restaurants across the country and then worked with them on a system to do either vacuum sealed or partially finished or, um, you know, the individual ingredients and they'll ship it to you anywhere in the country. And I thought this is such a freaking bougie, uh, you know, too much money people issue to have and I was never going to do it. But two things happened. One, David Chang of Momofoku tapped them to do the Momofoku meal kits. So you can buy pretty much any meal that they have there. And his team has devised the packing system, the how much it's par cooked, what you need to do, like a, like a real meal kit, like a, like a blue apron. Um, and they use Gold Belly to get it to you. And then... Uh, end of year, I got a gift card from a from a client for a significant chunk of money to Goldbelly, and I thought this is my opportunity. So I went online and ordered um, the Bosam, which is the uh, pork oh, yeah, shoulder, Korean pork shoulder, uh, yeah. Korean pork shoulder that then then is is glazed with these wonderful. Uh, sticky, sweet loveliness, and then comes with, you know, all the fixings, the kimchi, the hot sauce, the, you know, rice, the, you know, uh, all the fun banchan, basically. Um, and we got that about a week and a half, two weeks ago. And if I paid full price for it, it was like 160 bucks. I didn't pay that because I had this gift card. But even at that, it lasted six meals. So, like, <laughs> it insane. really does work and it was phenomenal my wife like likes pork but is not crazy about pork like i am and when we were having it she was like you need to make this once a month and i'll eat pork whenever so it was <laughs> so good and the kimchi was fantastic and everything else that came with it was perfectly done it was awesome so yeah that's that's the best thing i've eaten in recent memory have you um have you been I mean obviously you cook a lot anyway and we talked about that a lot in the last in the in the last season that's a much more elegant way of saying it um have you found yourself cooking you know anything a lot or have you have you experimented or have you have you had cooking fatigue are you sick of it because you have to do it every day I did go through a fatigue I did I went through a hard fatigue and it became too easy to convince myself that I was supporting local businesses, which you should do in these horrible times, that it would be like, I don't want to cook. Let's go support a local a local restaurant and order out. Um, and then over the summer, I was like, nope, that's not healthy and sort of cut back on that. Um, the things that like, I, I got really into bits, as, my, as our mother would say, like just like high quality bread, smoked salmon, cheeses, whatever that I could just pick at. Um, but as far as... as cooking is concerned um a lot of a lot of pastas some some really good steaks um i made something the other day uh, come back to me come back to me what about you <laughs> um yeah i mean uh, ordinarily when we record these i talk about where i've been um and what i ate there because invariably i would have traveled in between uh, episode recordings but i haven't really been going anywhere this this year at all i went to lisbon to film back in february uh food there was was fantastic uh i i am completely in love with that city i've 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 fallen for it but the uh portuguese custard tarts love them absolutely mm. uh, just would eat uh, well you get you buy like a sleeve of them of like six in this little box and i kept <laughs> i kept I was I was only on the ground in Lisbon for a day. I got there. I think Greg and I flew in at, at like we got there at like nine a.m. and then flew out that night. And he had come previously to, to film some B-roll, but I bought like a sleeve of them at this place and kept them in my pocket. And surreptitiously throughout the day, would just pull a warm custard tart out of my pocket and start eating it uh, whenever I felt like it. So that was good. I I had I've had to go to. Um, a few places uh, for work and uh, but not but not that much at all so it's weird to have to think about the things that I've eaten I was in New York um, back in October and on Instagram I found this place that makes they make burgers but they're famous for their mac and cheese it's called flip and toss it's in in the West Village and I I saw this post on Instagram 
months ago, maybe even in like 2019, and I favorited it and then dropped a, a, a pin on Google Maps like, if I ever get back to New York, I will go out of my way to go to this place. And I walked around trying to find it, and it was like you would have walked past it. It was this tiny, crappy little place on a quiet street that looked totally unappealing. And I was like, is this, the, is this really the place? This can't be the place. I go in there and I see, sure enough, all these mac and cheeses on the menu. And I, it was obviously there was no indoor dining and they didn't have room for indoor dining either. There was this tiny ass place. So got it in this like like a tinfoil circular tray and took it to the nearest place I could find to sit down, which was this park about a block away. Sat on a bench, pulled the thing off, and it was the best mac and cheese I've ever had in my life. And you could like put in bacon or or truffle or lobster or um, I can't remember the other, the other options, but it was like creamy and gooey and oh, it was the most decadent, trashy thing I've ever eaten. Sat on a park bench with it on my knees and a beer. And I, it was, that is the thing that sticks out in my mind. It was so flipping good. I absolutely loved it. For drinks, one of the things I forgot to mention was I have a wine cave, wine fridge, and I've been pulling these wines around. Wine, wine cave, wine cave. Wine cave. Oh, I kind of want a wine cave full of this disgusting non-alcoholic wine. Um, and I've been like... Brought wine with me from California, and then you know, as I bounced around the UK, and never, I was like, it's too good, it's too good, it's too precious. I need to wait, I need to wait, I need to wait. And during lockdown, with the the, the twenty twenty that I had, I was like, you know what, screw it. And so I drank mainly on my own, but with the help of <laughs> some friends when friends were allowed. Um, these twenty plus year old, I, one was um, my age. I really, really enjoyed that, but. I went to Borough Market in June and Bao, who are a chain-ish in the in London that make obviously Bao, had done this spin-off called Rice Error. And it was this kind of kooky pop-up that they did in Borough Market. And the food was good. It was Taiwanese fried chicken, Bao, obviously a few other bits and pieces. Very, very good. But they have these cocktail pouches that they make available for delivery, pre-mixed. And I was like, well, that sounds terrible. I'm not a big cocktail guy anyway. And, and but the gal at the behind the counter was like, "You have to try this one. It's our signature. It's amazing." And it's a it was a milk tea old fashioned. So it was hmm. milk washed whiskey with Taiwanese oolong tea and bitters. And then they would put all of it into the into the plastic glass and then they would cut a orange slice, a full orange circle slice. And they would sort of wedge it into the glass so that it was almost like a lid. And so you drank it through the orange. It was so good. I think I had three. I don't remember a whole <laughs> lot after that. And again, like I'm not a big cocktail person. Um, I, it did make me think I need to really learn how to appreciate them a little bit better. But yeah, those, those two things in the last 15 months are the things that, that just blew me away. I'm not sure if we're going to save this for a different section, um, but one of the things that you just sort of mentioned is what I wanted to do with my free time in 2021. Like, you know, I, I, I nowhere near feel like I'm an accomplished chef. I still feel like I have tons and tons of things to learn about um, all kinds of food. But since lockdown, the thing that I miss most is my access to my friends in the hospitality industry, sitting at bars, learning things about like cool new food, uh, uh, drinks that I don't have to spend $30, $40 buying things and not knowing about them. So I wanted to educate myself on cocktails, on on spirited drinks, not just like the raw products, but actually learning to, to do that. And so with the help and direction of our buddy Keith um, and some, some Christmas presents, I think everyone got the got the memo and I seem to have got like five cocktail books over Christmas. Nice. So Ain't nothing wrong with that. I'm going to work my way through that. And like, you know, my, I have my favorite go-to cocktails, which are, you know, uh, an old fashioned on the bourbon side and an aviation on the gin side, but I don't know how to make them. So that's like, I want to learn how to make them. So in the, in the aftertimes, when we are allowed to see people again, 
I don't want to, I, I'm leaning hard into the dad thing, being like, that guy's known for his, you know, his old fashions. Go over to Will and he'll hook you up with an old fashioned or Manhattan or whatever else I'm going to try and learn. So that's the thing. Just be the guy known for not too many cocktails. I just want to be able to do three cocktails well. And that's sort of a goal I think is achievable with a child in 2021. Yeah, and I, it, what's been interesting is that, and I, I, I would really love to hear from people about this too, because in the first lockdown, in the UK at least, which was March, end of March, for, for like eight weeks, my kids were at home, the weather was incredible, we were super lucky, April in the UK was like summer, a real actual summer. And so I, like, I had all my patio doors up and the kids were coming in and out. And I just wanted to cook. I just wanted to cook all the time. Mm. And so I cooked and I wanted to push the boat out and try new things. So I had a bunch of new cookbooks and I tried to like, and what was interesting was like the things I kept going back to, like I have my old staples and this list that I have taped to the inside of my cabinet of the things I know all, all 600 of my children will eat. Um, but I found myself, I made for the first time, uh, Mark Bittman's No Need Bread it was in the New York Times. Mm. And yeah. that's a super, super. I mean, you and I made Actually, we compared notes on it, didn't we? We, we made it during yep. lockdown. My kids called it restaurant bread because uh, it, it's all fancy. It's cute. And <laughs> so they loved it. It's. I mean, you need a little bit. Like, it takes 24 hours. Um, but I would make it and put it in Dutch oven and then proof it in the airing cupboard and blah, blah, blah. And it was almost always phenomenal. One of the the fears I conquered as well was deep frying. Mm. There was something uh, from a sort of occupational hazard perspective that put me off it, but also like, you know, not having my heart full of stuff, but 2020, so screw it. And it's amazing how easy it is to make very, very, very good fried chicken at home. If you have the right equipment and know the basic sciences, it doesn't. No, it's easy. It's easy. Like get a good thermometer so you know what your oil is at and you also yeah. know what your, your meat's going to be at and make sure that you don't overcrowd the pan so that the temperature doesn't drop too much and then otherwise you'll get greasy food. But if you pay attention to that and learn sounds, sounds are really important when you're frying. You know when you get that ting, 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 that's the water coming out yep. of it, like, you know, when you're really frying. And if that stops, you know, you're basically there. It's great. <laughs> it was super sad. I made it tonight, actually. It's super satisfying. It's super easy. You throwing the, the, the chicken in a brine for a few hours. And then I just use, I use a Dutch oven and mm -hmm. I use a thermo pen. I fill it up with whatever oil I have, usually um, rice brown oil or just, or just sunflower vegetable oil. I, I got, you know, I found at Costco, I can't remember if it was in the US or in the UK, I found Frank's Red Hot Seasoning Powder. Oh, okay. So so that goes in the dredge with a bunch of other stuff. It's so freaking easy to do. And then you can recycle the oil a few times at, at the very least. So mm -hmm. it's a it's a reasonably um, cost effective. My kids it's like and then we, we made so we made Korean fried chicken once, which was double battered, which was fun. I got super into Korean food. Me too. I thought I was going to come back to that. Oh it's like God. my big thing that I, I, I did a lot of fish. That was the thing I was trying to remember. I did a lot of fish, which I usually wouldn't have done, but a lot of roast cod, uh, smo uh, not smoked salmon, just regular salmon, um, a lot of shellfish, a lot of shellfish. Um, but Korea, I don't, I can't barbecue where I am. Um, there, I, there's rules against it. Also, it's minus a billion, so I don't really necessarily want to be outside barbecuing. Uh, and one of my big things was grilled short ribs, but I had the more traditional style short ribs, not the thin cut, but like the, the ones that look like a you know big piece of meat sitting on top of a, a bone blade. Um, I found a really amazing um, Korean style um, instant pot recipe, which I did a couple times, and that is just so good. Uh, my wife stumbled upon, in a, I think it was in a Whole Foods, um, go, uh, Gokuchan, and now she doesn't do anything without it. So literally that's become her, her sriracha of 2020. Yeah, you can, the weird thing, you can find that anywhere here in the UK, even in like at Waitrose, they sell it. But I, I got super into kimchi. I've always loved kimchi. I haven't tried to make it yet. That's a project for 2021. But there are so many places where they'll make it and then they'll send it to you for the fermentation period. So you get it. Oh, nice. 
and then they say leave it on your counter for like four to 14 days how you know depending on how how much of a tang you want and so i i use this company here in the uk called mr kimchi because why wouldn't you and (laughs) (laughs) i would like ordered one pot and i was like oh my god i ate it in like two days and then kenji has a recipe for kimchi brined fried chicken sandwiches so you use the juice uh, from the kimchi as part of the brine and you make a gochujang mm-hmm. and um kimchi uh, uh dredge oh my god so we got we got super into that and then we made fried chicken sandwiches and all of that so yeah that those i i learned how to make bagels as well because i was really feeling for ba- it's what's been interesting for me from a food perspective about all of this is i realized what i what i missed you know the most about food and it and it surprised me what i didn't miss i didn't miss going to the pub i didn't miss pub lunches because a lot of it i could replicate Mm. myself i miss the the food of the countries obviously that i can't get to i really miss street food um but i i miss talking to chefs and i miss talking to waiters and waitresses and bartenders uh, bartenders are, a, mm. are a, a mischievous bunch. I'll tell you that right now. You have to be quite restrained around bartenders. That's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I miss I miss that. And I know you know I know we're breaking off a little bit of a tangent here. But I I, I wanted to mention some of the like Tom Colicchio and David Chang in the U.S. have been doing outstanding work because what did they say? Seventy five percent of independent restaurants in America are going to shut down as a result mm-hmm. of COVID. And that means a lot of jobs throughout the supply chain. And they've been doing stellar work. Follow them both on Twitter and, and find out. But it was it was really interesting to me what I missed when I hit that same fatigue that you did after about eight weeks. I was like, I don't want to do mm-hmm. this anymore. I'm exhausted. I'm bored of cooking. I went back to the rote recipes I can do without thinking. Um, I would love to hear from people if you had the same thing. If you got bored of cooking three meals a day instead of eating out once once a day, what did you cook? What did you discover? What did you learn? From whence did you learn it? Because I got a shed yeah. load of new cookbooks. <laughs> so, yeah. So one of the things um, to Colicchio and Chang, Guy Fieri, there's two things I want to say about Guy. Um, but he also did something recently with the CEO from Barstool Sports, who is a giant prick but he is a prick with principles and like, you know, he is not someone I would ever want to give any money to him personally, but he and Guy Fieri did a thing where they started this fund that has, is basically helping out of work restaurant people. Cause he did a thing where he goes around trying all the best pizzas wherever he is. And like that became a bit of a viral sensation, but like they've done a lot and, and Guy sort of is the yin to this guy's yang, um, yin to yang, sorry. As far as like, um, cuddly and nice compared to not going to talk about Portmore or whatever his name is. Um, but he, Guy Fieri did a thing when everything locked down where he just went into like overdrive on a lot of things. But one of the things he did was he kept diners, drives and dive diners, drive-ins and dives going. But what they did was he would pay for people around the country who he loved their stuff, who was struggling at this time, to send him their best dishes, and then he would Skype them while making them at his home in in Santa in Santa Rosa. I watched that at your house, didn't I? Looking, I think we watched one episode. Yeah, but so basically, yeah. him and his son Hunter, and the other one's called Ryder, would film it. No production company. They have an outside summer kitchen, and they would just have one of them on a steady cam, uh, and one of them on like one of those GoPros, and they would have a big TV up there and have the guys the guys Skype in or Skype is such an like redundant term Zoom in, um, and they would t- they the the the, the restaurateurs would teach guy how to make the things that they were famous for and at the end of it they would be whoever would win that round would be sent you know some relief money which i thought was was a really good way to create content but also give back at the same time they they it was such a great idea and they featured one of my favorite restaurants in the world i can't remember if i've mentioned it on the show or not but chino banditos in phoenix Mm. Uh, they do chinese mexican it's not fusion because it's like in a 
it's in a dirty ass strip mall in a less than salubrious part of Phoenix, but it is some of the best food I've ever had. And they taught him how to make mm-hmm. their signature je- uh, dish, which was their jade red chicken. Great idea. Yeah, it was a great, great idea. Um, but with that said, I think, you know, if it's cool with you, we're sort of to talk about some of the, the learnings I have found since, since moving from California. Yeah, to because your food and your cooking environments, both for what you can eat out and what you can prepare at home, have changed fairly dramatically. And I would imagine what's available I, to you. Yeah. Yeah. Especially it was, even with COVID, that was going to be the case. Um, I always used to look at the back of packets and it would say things like, at elevation, here are the cooking instructions. And I'm like, who the hell is cooking on a mountainside and completely spacing on the fact that I now live on the side of a mountain? Um, so things like I do a lot of couscous and like now I have to pay attention to the fact that I have to cook things uh, with more water at a higher temperature. because uh, not at a high te- More water for a longer time. Because another thing that my wife has noticed is when she's boiling water for pasta, it boils over so much faster because there's less atmospheric pressure. So, Mm. you know, things happen. So that's not that difficult. That hasn't been bothering me. The thing that I have noticed from just the environment that I find myself, it is dry AF. It is so unbelievably unhumid in the in the winter time that that really does affect you you have we have uh humidifiers going all day long um but also with the elevation it means that bread not quite where it needs to be it's got a good outer shell but the inside can just be a bit dodgy a bit stodgy a bit doughy that like you know not quite where you need it i'm sure that there are people out there who know how to do it properly but that's definitely something i've noticed <laughs> sorry just burped into the mic. The other... Th- <laughs> Some things never change. It's that the atmospheric other- pressure, huh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's not, you know, I just... We won't gaze it. No, I'm kidding. Um, the other thing is that I'll, I was spoiled for choice in California with certain meals due to the diaspora of different nations that called Northern California at home. There is no good Mexican food in Colorado. And I'm throwing it out there because I want somebody to tell me that I'm wrong. There's Tex-Mex. There's chain restaurants or like local restaurants that are not doing anything particularly impressive for me. I I miss my like I can go to a corner taqueria in California and I know it's going to be good. So I'm trying to find that here. Have not found it. The other thing that is lacking is Chinese food. Like there's really good really? high end places. Like when I, yeah, when I first came here, I went to a couple of places that were really good. I don't want to say fusion because it's not what Colorado is sort of about, but they're inspired by you know, and they're like places that you. It's cheaper than Cal- than California, but you'd be buying, you know, plates of things that would usually be street food, in other in China or Southeast Asia. There's a lot of that, but you're sort of run of the mill mom-and-pop Chinese places from just asking around. There really isn't much. And the Yelp reviews, you know, take them with a grain of salt, have not been charitable. That may mean because people don't know what they're looking for in here. They're not exposed to as much of a, of a Chinatown as I was. So yeah. I'm going to keep on looking there. But those are the two big areas that have been, have been lacking. Um, we're also further away from the ocean. So there's a lot of fresh water um uh, fish, which I'm getting into, like perch and stuff like that, which is interesting. Um, steelhead. Steelhead's a big one. Um, but the thing that's actually doing really, really well around here, uh, I would say it's probably the best outside of the South, is barbecue. There's a lot of really good championship-style barbecue places around here, and they do a lot of... Um, it's mainly brisket and ribs, but really really stand up stuff um i've I got a place literally down the street called gq uh g q u e um which has been a go-to for me really great sauce they do both a carolina style and a regular barbecue sauce and just been going around there's a lot of really really good stuff doing that stuff and then beer this is like a freaking beer capital of the country right now so those things have been really really interesting yeah i i would imagine that maybe, you know, you're in California, which produces so much, like 80% of America's food, that you have fresh produce from within 50 miles year-round 
I yeah. can't imagine it's the same in Colorado. If you go west, you hit the Rockies proper and you're into Boulder and stuff like that. And if you go east, it's basically Kansas um, and Nebraska. And like literally you go 10 miles east of downtown Denver and it's flat all the way to the border. And that's where a lot of wheat and corn and that kind of stuff is grown. Hence why whiskey is so good here. So there's a lot of like cereal crops. That's sort of the, the, the one thing that like, you know, we've been doing. Um, well, I've noticed, sorry, less than so on the, on the fruit and veg style, but I'm sure there is still, there, I haven't been wanting for certain veg. It's just the styles of food that are a little harder to get. Yeah. Well, I, that's interesting. And I think once things open up again, it will be very interesting to hear what you think about the broader Denver culinary scene and what the staples are and what the, the local, you know, classics and flavors are i'm very keen to come and film an episode of attache there when it's safe and everything's open and we can do the city's justice obviously we're not we're not doing that right now um yeah the the one thing actually i wanted to mention was uh the one thing i have found and i've been alluding to this for a while i just never really dug into it was colorado style pizza um yeah did we we talk about that in the pizza episode we, I talked about like there was this weird thing with the, them loving pineapple, but there is actually a Colorado style. It is super large, twisted, almost pretzel style crust. They use honey instead of sugar in their um, in their dough. It is crazy amounts of um, toppings and and cheese, and it's a, officially designated re- re- recognized style of pizza. But there was something I noticed. When I was ordering pizza the other day, let me see if you can pick up on this. Let me see if I can grab this real quick. Um, I just need to grab the menu real quick. Bear with me one second. I had it all loaded and it didn't stay. Okay, so this is a local pizza place, and I've noticed this across a multitude of menus. So I'm going to go down the the, the, the top sellers on this place's uh, pizza menu. So a full house, which is sort of a meat lover's pizza. Uh, a natural, which is a, the veggie pizza, yeah. the jackpot, which is kind of like the uh, round table supreme. It's got everything on it. Nice. Okay. Now here's the next ones. Mediterranean chicken, chicken Santa Fe, Hawaiian with chicken, Western barbecue chicken, chicken bacon ranch, buffalo chicken, Greek chicken, margarita chicken, honey sriracha chicken. Not like 90% of any Colorado pizzeria is overwhelmingly chicken. I don't That's understand that. That seems why. to be their vibe. I don't I don't know. And chicken doesn't belong in the pizza. Sorry. When I was slinging pizzas when I was like 15 or 16 at Round Table, there was there was a good quarter of the menu that had chicken on it. And they were pretty good. They usually used either a barbecue-based sauce uh, instead of or a white sauce. sauce or a white which is basically ranch. Uh, sauce. Someone uh, whose opinion I respect hugely uh, introduced me to p- pepperoni pineapple pizza, which sounds. My wife loves pi- a pineapple pizza. I just don't. It like was. It's so. Much it's yet. so good. It's like a tradition now. Like whenever I I order a pizza, uh, no matter where I am, pepperoni and pineapple. I thought I'd hate it, uh, but I the sweet and the super salty pepperoni. Uh, nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. I'm going to give you a, a, a tip, listeners, for how I survived uh, lockdown with just myself, my wife, and my kid. And it's summarized in this pizza that we ordered the other day. We ordered a pizza. One half was pepperoni, sausage, onions, and mushrooms. The other half was ground burger meat, pineapple, and banana peppers. One half was mine. One half was my wife's. And we were both very happy. There's no point trying to fight for a year on getting the right pizza for everybody in one pie. Just split it down the middle and make your own. And that's how you survive, not getting on each other's nerves when it comes to making decisions about pizza. Nice. That's a good My good wife strategy. has weird taste in pizza. Yeah, so we, Mine was the normal same. side. So burger meat, pineapple, and banana peppers. It sounds like it would taste like heartburn. It, you know when you have heartburn uh, and you burp and a little bit of that stuff comes out, that that sounds like what it would taste like. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, I'll let you know as things open up. I'm really excited about. There's a lot of restaurants that I'm excited to try. I've got some some friends on the inside of the culinary world around here who I'm uh, 
interested to have them lead me down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to hearing about that. I, before we wrap, I know this has been a rambling uh, episode, which actually it was kind of intended to be so that we could we could all, you, me, Will, and, and, and everybody else listening, kind of catch up with each other. But, you know, again, do get in touch uh, on Twitter at MasticationNTN, which we will resurrect as well. Uh, what you've been drinking, what you've been cooking, what you've been eating, everything. We want to hear back from you guys. You're always so good and so engaged with us, and it just made this all worthwhile. Because, frankly, this part's a chore. Um, but <laughs> um, Before we wrap up, I think uh, we should talk just a little bit more about how we're going to be doing things going forward. So we've said mm-hmm. uh, we're going to keep the alphabet, and we're going to talk about countries. Um, but specifically, yeah. what are we going to talk about? Well, first of all, I, I'm, we're open to suggestions, you know, A, Australia, B, Brazil, whatever it may be, you know, if we think that we're being too either obscure when we go to some countries or uh, too broad with some of the bigger guys, let us know, throw some suggestions out there. But the, we want to look at what, what, what is either considered uh, officially or unofficially the national dish, the national drinks. Um, food influences, um, you know, yeah. so many places like uh, in the Southeast Asia were so influenced by places like, uh, you know, Portugal. occupations and, and history. So talking a bit, a bit like, you know, one of the things I was talking about with, with my wife was Ireland could be interesting for I, just given the fact of like, there's so much interesting history there with yeah. – um, the potato famine, the the food traveling to America, which is unrecognized. Irish food is unrecognizable due to what they had access to or Israel with the diaspora all around the world, like what you're going to do there. So looking at that, but also focusing in on things that are, are known, like I don't want to keep on alluding to A being Australia, but like, you know, is the pie flota the national dish or is it chicken parm, which I've read in other places, like mm-hmm. the fact that it's Italian, that's interesting. So really looking towards you guys as people on the ground to provide us with, with feedback or make your case for your country or a country you visited to. And if you yeah. feel up for it, joining us on the podcast to make that case. Yeah, definitely. We, we want to include a lot more of you. Uh, and and Will makes a very good point that we're not going to automatically choose the most famous or the biggest country. It may be the most interesting or maybe the most obscure that we need to shine a spotlight on their food. So, yeah, make your case. Tell us. I think I, we haven't talked about this, Will, but I wonder if it's worth announcing ahead of time on Twitter what we're going to be doing and, and you know, let, let let you guys run run wild with suggestions and debates and fights and yeah because the way that we've been doing it in the past was we opened up the floodgates after the fact yeah and people would would tell us what they thought or what we missed and then we would spend the first 10 minutes of the episode like reflecting back but if we say what we are going to talk about then that will also impact if it's somewhere that we're not 100 percent familiar with the research that we're going to be doing and who we should yeah. be talking to yeah. Um, you know, well, we're well, always yeah, well, down to hop on a, on a call, make a, make a choice see how that goes. But yeah, I'm excited about this. I think, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll get this one up while well, you would, you don't know that we're even doing this, so I can put it up whenever I want, but we'll, uh, we'll, get, <laughs> we'll get them up and we'll, we'll try and smash them out quickly. Cause it's not like we're going anywhere. We don't have to accommodate work schedules. We don't have to accommodate me traveling. So hopefully we can be a little bit more regular with these. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Exactly. We, I, this gives me some sense of, of normalcy, I think. Um, although we'll get my daughter in occasionally to give her opinion on uh, pureed Swede or whatever the hell she's eating these days. Absolutely. Uh, fantastic. Well, uh, it's good to be back in the saddle, Will. I'm, I'm looking forward to smashing out another round of episodes. But until next time... Are we changing this, or could it, or, or are we going to keep it as? Hey, yeah, you know what? I wanted well. to see what you were going to say in the moment. <laughs> Eat, uh, oh, I know, oh, I know what I'm going to do. Oh, tell me, like, if this is cringy, please tell me, or if you feel like it's it's in no way appropriate. If it's a country that 
Oh yeah, it's whatever the 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 uh, Bon Appetit is from that country. Oh, bon Appetit, whatever the Bon yeah. Appetit is from no, that, that's a great from idea. that it country. Would be hilarious to try and to hear you try and pronounce them. <laughs> exactly. So definitely, I need your feedback and pronunciation guides when we get to some of the more. Uh, that's a great idea. Less romantic, romantic based languages. Not so good on the Cyrillic alphabet. We're doing that. We're doing that. Cool. All right. Well, until next time. For the last time, eat well. Eat well.